Hello and welcome to Fundamental Value, a journey to quantify crypto. I'm your host, Joshua Frank, co-founder and CEO of The Tie. On Fundamental Value, we speak with the leading hedge funds, analysts, trading venues, and digital asset market participants. Our goal is simple, to understand how the leading minds in the cryptocurrency space are researching, analyzing, and quantifying the value of digital assets. Quick disclaimer. This podcast was recorded and is being made available solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast should not be construed as a provision of investment advice or as an offer to buy or sell any securities or tokens or to make or consider any investment or course of action. You can view our show notes for our complete disclosures. In today's episode, I'm joined by Paul Sachs, co-founder of Digital Gamma. Paul, it's great to have you on. Hey, man. It's it's great to be here. I really appreciate it and uh, look forward to speaking with you. Yeah, so let's let's hop right in. So Paul has a uh, definitely an, an interesting background. Um, you know, uh, from traditional finance. You know, started as an option maker, uh, options market maker, uh, was a CIO at a fund, um, and and now has launched the first TPR platform for crypto. So Paul, can you give us a bit of a background on yourself and how you ended up falling down the crypto rabbit hole? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so yeah, as you mentioned, uh, I started my career on the floor of the NYMEX in New York, uh, which is now owned by the CME, trading gold options, uh, graduated from school, came to New York, wanted to work on Wall Street. And my first day on the floor of the exchange instantly knew, you know, this was for me. Um, I had never seen anything like it. You know, everyone's seen those those scenes uh, in the movies like Trading Places, you know, hundreds of guys in a pit sorry, people, but at that time, mostly guys yelling and screaming and, and pushing. And I just said, uh, I have to do this. You know, um, I'm lucky enough to get, to, to get, to get hired as a clerk, which is pretty much where everyone starts and, and, and semi-arbitrarily you get placed into a pit and, uh, someone says, here's a little bit of money. You can, you, you know, they train you and then, and then you start trading. And it's really, it's really just a phenomenal place to grow up in terms of, in terms of, you know, becoming a professional in, in your career. Um, it's, you know, the most important component in my opinion of what happens on a trading floor is it, it's a, it's a pure meritocracy. Um, you know, sky's the limit. You can work as hard as you want and you will reap the rewards in most cases. And uh, further it's, it's, it's an incredibly diverse um, situation where you have everything from PhDs to GEDs. And if I told you, you know, one guy was making 200K a year and one guy was making 2 million a year, you know, most people would, would guess wrong. Um, it's so f in, in many respects, I, I feel very lucky to have ended up there. And, um, and further, uh, arbitrarily, I ended up in gold and um, gold was a a super important component to ultimately what led me to become very interested in crypto. Um, there's a lot of parallels there that and I and I continue to think back um, still to how I used to uh, evaluate gold and apply those methods and those mental models in terms of thinking about um, in, in thinking about Bitcoin and other cryptos. But we can get to that a bit later. Basically, um, it was great. I, I, I ended up working for a few companies and then going out on my own and starting my own group. And um, it's it's where I met my my current business partner, Ari Pine, um, in 03. We were running competing option market making groups in precious metals and um, 
and you know we recognized that you know we thought similarly about about trading and risk and ultimately that led to us becoming uh you know business partners now um and friends of course everything did go electronic and the landscape changed you know markets became much more efficient much tighter ultimately um you know i participated in that in terms of you know spending money on infrastructure and co-location and and ultimately it became a a you know you would spend more and more to make less and less and, and the markets just became too efficient at least for me so i i transitioned to becoming a market taker instead of a market maker i said to myself if 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 everything in gold is going to be a tick wide size up you know why not use everything that i've learned about options to create you know interesting risk return profiles that i think would be in- interesting for institutional investors and i partnered with someone and created a a gold options cta cpo whereby we would offer um interesting and custom option pnl profiles for gold you know real insurance like returns nonlinear right so if if gold went up 25% you know how much good is that actually going to do you if you have you know 5% of your portfolio allocated and you know the 50 per or 60% that's in equities you know takes a 30% haircut right if gold's going to pop 25 or 30% in a risk off scenario you know you're going to want you know a 5x 10x or more type of a return using options and you can use options to do that you can't just buy gold in gld or gold bars or gold coins and get that type of return and 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 similarly there's ways to mitigate downside risk using different types of option spreads and and so what we did was we created some overlays you know some enterprise risk management for gold mines and for for bullion funds or gold equity funds with large bullion holdings and and some outright speculators of course who you know were friendly to gold and and you know were waiting you know any day for Weimar Republic you know inflation to hit and the dollar to go to zero and gold to go to infinity of course um Sounds like a lot of Bitcoin maxis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So in late 17, you know, I'm staring at gold, which had at the time about an 8% annual volatility. And and crypto at the time, of course, Bitcoin had 180% annual volatility. So, um, you know, based purely on that, I had no choice but to look. And after about 20 seconds, you know, you quickly realize it's a retail driven marketplace that lacked basic financial plumbing and infrastructure. So basically I grabbed my smartest friend, uh, Ari, and said, you know, we got to take a look at what's going on over here. I mean, you know, stop stop competing to the seventh decimal place of kurtosis against Vinny Viola and, and let's let's get into crypto. You know, it looked as if it was the floor of the 70s and the 80s, you know, inefficiencies abounding. And because of the regulatory uncertainty, you know, a lot of the big traditional entities, you know, weren't coming into crypto and just flipping a light switch, right? So so there was a real opportunity to sort of build some infrastructure, jump the queue, and yada, 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 here we are three years later, right? Yeah, so I guess you answered my uh, my next question, which is, you know, what was the impetus, which, you know, I, I, you know, I see as the volatility, the inefficiencies, and the lack of infrastructure. But what was the initial idea for Digital Gamma, and how has that evolved over time? Right. So when we first came to the market, we basically thought, you know, there's no acceptable gateway 
for for the institutional client, right? That's our network. The, we want we want to build the bridge, like many, for for Wall Street and that type to enter crypto. And for sure, at that time, it did not exist. One could argue it still doesn't, um, but progress is being made. So we we, we set out to, to build out prime brokerage, right? That's that's you know. My favorite definition of, of, of prime brokerage, um, I'll borrow from, from another friend. He, he's distilled it to three words, credit, clearing, and settlement. So, so we, we built out you know, a trading app. Uh, we opened up a bunch of corporate accounts. We were aggregating liquidity. We built out some interesting risk management protocols. And there were many prime brokers, you know, lots of smart border routers. And we differentiated ours with a borrow lens solution. Um, because we saw that as one of the fastest growing yet most broken parts of the opportunity set in crypto, right? So obviously it would make sense that we would take a model from Wall Street that works very well, that's very well understood and would be recognizable to the folks we ultimately wanted to show it to. So we took the global master repo agreement, we rewrote that and adapted it for crypto, um, filed a patent, which is pending. Um, which we will probably will not get, and then um, we came to market and we got an uh, we got an outsized positive response to the borrow lend. So we call that TPR for tri-party repo, and we got sort of a, a a mediocre response to the rest of the offering, just because there's so many competitors and so few you know PB type clients. Um, so we we pivoted in a sense by going from four business lines to one. And, and we're all in on, on, on the repo. Uh, we see it as a step forward in the way borrow lend occurs in crypto. Um, we see it as a way to approach. So our- can we, can we take yeah. a step back for sure. all the listeners, especially those that are crypto native and, and maybe haven't or aren't aware of, of TPR. So can we take a step back and explain what, what tri-party repo is and, and why that's different than just lending from a centralized or decentralized uh, entity? Right. Right. So, so there's a lot there to unpack, right? So, so the way it most commonly works now is an entity will go to an intermediary, you know, a very well-known platform and say, Hey, I need to borrow a million in Bitcoin. And the entity will go, sure, no problem. Post, you know, 1.25 or, or $1.5 million with us. And, and we will give you a million in Bitcoin. And then on top of over collateralizing, you know, you're paying an interest rate, right? Two, three, four, five, six percent. You know, it's coming quite a bit over time, but it used to be much higher. So you're depositing uh, a substantial amount of assets, more than you're borrowing, certainly, on an opaque platform where you have no visibility into A, what they're doing with your assets, and B, um, whether they're making their other customers adhere to the same requirements that you are, that, that, that you are, right? So this is a very common type of transaction whereby if you go to a traditional financial institution and say the way to borrow Bitcoin is to over collateralize a market maker, um, that's, that's going to be a non-starter, right? Since when is the, is the market maker a zero credit risk? That makes no sense. And also, um, you know, uh, HSBC is not coming into crypto and putting, you know, $100 million or $125 million on one of these platforms to borrow Bitcoin that they need for for trading, you know, shorting, stat arb or whatever. 
So, so that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum, and I presume we'll get more into this later, is DeFi, which for sure is super interesting. And, you know, there's a whole host of reasons why it's growing super fast, but with no KYC AML and no regulation, you know, it's sort of simultaneously can't be stopped, but can't be adopted. Um, you know, an institution cannot, you know, enter into a transaction like that and have no idea who is on the other side and lock up assets in what I would probably describe as untested tech uh, in a smart contract. So the way repo works on Wall Street is, for example, Bank of New York manages a very large percentage of the tri-party repo transactions. And it's not perfectly analogous, but basically they present themselves as a trusted third party and the two counterparties enter into a bilateral, right? So that's very different than borrowing or lending and over collateralizing with your counterparty, right? In this case, the fact, you know, it's a tri-party repo, there's three parties. So Digital Gamma positions itself in the middle of the transaction, you know, we take no principal or agency risk. We just administer the risk management, whatever the two counterparties agree to. So it's customizable. But the real benefit here is the two counterparties have in their possession the other party's collateral, right? So the easiest way to explain it is with an example. Let's say you and I are the two counterparties. I borrow 10 Bitcoin from you you borrow $120,000 from me, or I guess it's less less now, you borrow uh, $100,000 from me for the 10 Bitcoin, right? Digital Gamma sits in the middle and we both post, let's say 20% or $20,000 with Digital Gamma, okay? So I have your 10 Bitcoin, I can go do whatever I need with that, it doesn't have to stay on the exchange where we exchanged our collateral. You have my 100,000, and you can take that off campus and do whatever you need with it. And I have visibility to the fact that you've posted your 20000 with Digital Gamma and you have visibility that I have, right? And as the, chip, as the price of Bitcoin moves, we rebalance it, right? So if it goes down, you're going to give me some cash back. If it goes up, I'm going to give you some more cash. And both parties are always going to have 20% of the notional value of the transaction with the trusted third party. So this is a bilateral, right? So if you and your business disappears, then I have in my possession your 10 Bitcoin, which I can use to get my cash back. And I have access to your $20,000 that you've posted with Digital Gamma. And conversely, if I disappear, you have my 10, you have my 100K and access to my 20 grand. So it's a far less risky transaction as compared to you depositing assets on some venue, regardless of how big their balance sheet is, you have no idea, no ability to assess the risk. And if they, if they disappear or run into trouble, you're looking at a, at a, at a hundred and, you know, you're, you have no recourse, you know, 30% haircut, at least probably 50. And th there's no, there's no, you have no ability to, to, to see, you know, what, what's happening, right? You have nothing, you have no recourse or ability to so, mitigate the risk in real time. 
So I guess the 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 centralized at least solutions that exist out there, for example, a BlockFi or a Celsius, would be more a, a customer rather than a competitor of yours, right? Like they could, for example, a BlockFi could could you know do a TPR transaction on your platform with another counterparty, hypothetically. Yeah. Would you mind calling Zach and and letting him know? Um, no, uh, <laughs> no, it's that's that's a hundred percent right. So look, you can build a vertical or you can build horizontal. We would like to build horizontal. We want to get in that infrastructure layer whereby institutions and other intermediaries can get flat with each other when their book is a bit off sides. We, have, we don't want to face retail. Um, BlockFi and other entities are doing a very, very good job of that. And so we don't want to be a competitor. We want to, um, we want to do business with them. So you nailed it. We, you know, we do speak with, you know, the other intermediaries in, in crypto. Uh, we, we know them all. We, we like them all very much. Um, and so we are in the process of, of coming to market and, and it's, you know, it, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, but, you know, in an ideal scenario, you know, BlockFi is, is doing a trade with a counterparty that they don't really have the tools to assess the, the counterparty credit worthiness. And, and so they utilize the TPR protocol, right? Because what's crypto? Crypto is a space with no credit rating agency, no audited financials, no track records. You know, So from a traditional perspective, there's no ability to assess counterparty credit risk, right? Yeah, so it's, it's, you, and it's not even just counterparty risk. It's just doing due diligence, I think, generally. Uh, you know, I was talking to uh, you know, uh, one of the biggest... I guess companies in the entire world that that does dabble in crypto yesterday, and they were talking to me about just trying to do due diligence of any kind on companies and just how difficult it is to find any sort of information. So I don't even think it's credit risk. I think it's just knowing who anybody in this space is is even a starting point. Right, right. It's even worse. You can't, you can't even. There isn't the raw materials to try and compute or assess uh, counterparty credit risk. So our, our, we solve for that by replacing that risk with market risk, which of course we know very well how to handle, right? So you have math, you have process, you know, you have constant rebalancing, you have a legal framework, you know, the tri-party repo agreement, everyone signs it, you know, there's a very clearly defined rules-based protocol whereby you can engage, you know, you can utilize TPR to be a customer acquisition tool because you can say, look, I have no idea who this person is, who this company is, right? But you know, if I have their their collateral in my possession, and they're posting their margin with Digital Gamma, then I'm safe, right? And of course, we're doing KYC AML. The venues that we we use for clearing our TPR, they do, you know, KYC AML, right? So you, you need to know that you're not on the other side of a transaction from someone who's on 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 a, on a no fly list, right? But but with respect to the to the counterparty credit risk. You know that's that's resolved to the extent that it can be. Look, if crypto doubles overnight, there is not a single platform that is that is going to avoid problems. You know there is embedded negative convexity in any type of credit arrangement, right? No smart contract can save you from the next print in Bitcoin being twenty thousand. So you know it's it's about making the best business decision you can with the tools that are available. And so what we do is 
we've built out a model here that should be very familiar to those who've been trading in traditional markets. And we can say, look, there's a ton of opportunity in crypto. It's, you know, it's, it's getting more difficult by the day to make money in traditional markets. Um, here's, here's a recognizable protocol for you to assess risk and borrow and lend assets. And repo, you know, is at the heart of, you know, of everything. It's fundamentally a building block for finance. So if you believe in the future of crypto finance, there has to be a repo curve, right? If, if you think in the future, you know, a company like Coinbase is going to issue 800 million in two-year paper, but it's going to be denominated in Bitcoin instead of USD, then there, you, you need a repo curve for that. Um, a repo curve is what connects, you know, these interest rate curves are what connects the futures to the spot market. And on top of that, the options market and your ability to price them correctly, right? So it's it's all related. It's a, it's a critical building block. Um, and we're very, very excited about, you know, all of the implications. It's just, as you know, it, you know, it's hard work. I mean, there's a you know, there's an endless amount of work to be done, and and some of it is out of your hands, right? The people's interpretations of the regulatory landscape, and and whether it's safe to enter crypto or not, and whether they're putting their native business at risk or not. So it's all headed in the right direction. You know, it just it's just not happening overnight. And so you, you know, hit on it for a second, but I'd, I'd really like to dive into you know what are your thoughts on on the current DeFi mania and, and yield farming and everything that's that's going on, but also kind of on top of that, um, you know, what do you think about you know lending on these platforms? And and I don't know if you've seen, but there's a new company uh, or they've been around for a little bit called Credmark, which is basically trying to look at credit credit worthiness by looking at somebody's history on the blockchain. Um, okay. And what do you think about, you know, I, how do you think about risk and counterparty risk in decentralized systems? And, and how do you think about smart contract risk? And, and where do you think this DeFi mania is going to lead us? Okay. Um, so there's a lot there. So one, so I want to, I want to make the important, this very important caveat, you know, I'm not actively trading in DeFi land. And I read recently someone posted that, you know, you, you should really, you shouldn't really be commenting on it unless you're, you know, knee deep in all of these protocols. And, and I think that's, I think that's reasonable. Um, but I am a trader. <laughs> I do have opinions. I'm, you know, at all times willing to state them with Aver, of course. Crypto um, is the I, market where everybody's supposed to have opinions. No yeah, caveat exactly. needed here, Paul. Let's exactly. go. Dive okay. in. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. That was, that was unneeded. No, so, I'm done. I, I, I get it. No, yeah. So, but I, I've done a little, right? So, so this is what I think. So I guess DeFi, you know, assets locked has gone from like 1 billion to 10 in, in two and a half months or something. It's insane. Um, I think it's crazy. Um, I think the idea, ideologically, I find it super fascinating and interesting, right? And it's this whole argument about, you know, uh, you know, bank the unbanked and, and make it accessible to everyone and, and, and what sovereign wealth means and, and, and all of that super interesting stuff. But with respect to the protocols and the technology and the smart contracts, I think it's crazy. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a race. I think it's the wild west. I think these, these companies are pumping out smart contracts that are not properly tested um, and they do blow up. And well, just to add that, I mean, in some cases they're, they're actually like with Yam they're they went out and said it's not tested. Right. Right. And, and, and even worse, there are repeat offenders, right? So very clearly from a process perspective, 
you know, this stuff is not being properly tested. And, and, and so by definition, you know, if you're using, in my opinion, anything in DeFi land, you know, you are participating in beta and, you know, you, you just have to own that and all the risks that come along with that. Um, but that being said, you know, I position digital gamma as DeFi, um, you know, it's peer to peer, right? It just, I would say that we are a human smart contract in the middle of these two counterparties. And, and I think that's important because, you know, if, if you, you know, if you are relying on a congested network and, and a buried Oracle to give you a, a piece of information that you need to send in a margin call, that's not going to get there in time and, and, and you're going to get liquidated, you know, that's, that's not going to fly for, you know, my network. I'll just say that may be fine with, with, with many, obviously it is. Um, but you know, in institutional land, you know, you cannot type a message into a chat bot and hope to get a response in two weeks. You know, people need to be able to pick up a phone, reach out and choke you. So for example, with digital gamma, if there's a, if there's a congested network or if there's another issue and, um, both party, both counterparties can communicate with each other and they, and one part, one counterparty gives the other, you know, another two hours or four hours to, to, to get a margin call in and avoid default and that's that's agreed upon by both counterparties, then digital gamma can affect, again, whatever the two counterparties agree on. But I understand if, you know, you want to scale a business to a billion users, you know, that model doesn't fit. From my perspective, you know, 100 businesses, 100 institutions is the goal, not, you know, a billion, not a billion users. So that's my opinion on DeFi. I speak to plenty of folks who have made a, an effort to open up a MetaMask and, and choose a gas rate and get onto Compound. And, you know, it's all super clever stuff. And I'm not a coder. I can't build this stuff. You know, I tip my cap to these guys, super, super smart. But, you know, the, the feedback I get is thanks, but no thanks. You know, that's not, that's not for me. It's too hard. I don't understand it. I'm not comfortable. I have to click on buttons. I don't, you know, at any moment, I feel like something is going to go wrong and I'm going to have no recourse. Now you mentioned Credmark, um, big, big, big fans. I'm a big fan of them. I think they're doing it. I, th I think they're doing something super, super important, which is aggregating information that is out there, but not everyone is 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 able to or or has time to do the work to find it. They aggregate it, they present it. It's super interesting. It's super important. It is information about. They are basically the precursor to a credit rating. That will be of that will have value, and and we want to work with them on that. By the way, um, because I think that's that's the future, right? Like if you want to borrow assets from someone with a higher credit rating, um, then you know maybe maybe or, or lend assets to someone with a higher credit rating, maybe they you, you'll charge them less, and you'll charge someone more if they have a lower credit rating. But that needs to be actionable, you know, valid information, um, and so we feel. You know, we agree with their approach. Um, I, I quote their information um, in every pitch deck that I make. I really like them. Um, risk is really is everything. You know, risk management is the whole is the whole story, right? So I've traded for for a long time. You know, about two decades in traditional markets, and I've I've seen I've traded my way through you know several thousand year storms, right? That seem to occur you know every eighteen months. You know. I don't know how many six standard deviation events I've seen, but 
far more than than the math would imply I should. So I'd be on the CME, you know, trading gold at 8% vol, trading gold at 80% vol, you know, funds are blowing out, you know, governments are liquidating gold on the lows. You know, I've seen volatility that I thought couldn't exist, but never in the back of my mind when I was transacting with someone would I be thinking, is this trade going to clear? Are they are they going to make good on it? Um, do I have a settlement risk? Do, you know, if this entity blows out, you know, is there going to be a ripple, a, a, a chain reaction? And you know, am I going to have assets on one exchange that I'm hedged with assets on another exchange, and I'm not going to have any idea where I stand with the former? So I have no idea what to do with the latter. You know, that that type of you know, that's sort of like a second order or a third order of risk, which you really don't have to think a lot about when you're transacting on an exchange like the CME with a clearinghouse that has effectively a credit line of tens of billions of dollars, but in reality, you know, is backed by the government and you're, you're going to be fine until you're not, right? Um, in crypto land, you have to think about every conceivable risk. Who is my counterparty? What is what is the protocol, or what recor- what recourse do I have if they um, don't post what they're supposed to? What is the clearing and settlement mechanism? What are the rails? Is it fully funded? Is it margined? Are the losses socialized? How does the insurance fund work? Do I need you know I need to have both crypto and fiat on all these venues pre uh, pre booked right pre funded to avail myself of of anything resembling best execution. So it's much more, you have to see the whole aside, board. Aside from all the rest of the risk, like what if BitMEX blows up? Like what if Coinbase gets hacked? What right. if the government decides they want to shut something down? Right? Exactly. You know, like, right. Like I'm not sitting there thinking about the CME, you know, getting a 51% attack, right? <laughs> right. So that, that's, that's not in the front of your mind. Whereas in crypto, everything has to be front of mind. If, if it's not, you're not doing your job. So- um, and, and for sure, you're not a fiduciary trading someone else's money, right? What you do with your own money is your own business. But do you even have the ability to fulfill traditionally the responsibilities of a fiduciary if you have a fund and you're trading on these venues, right? So it's a, it's a super, super big question, um, which, you know, will get answered, but just not overnight. And I think, you know, I think where we're 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 adding a very important tool i think entities like credmark are i think i think the tie is because you know the more information the more people have the better that's full stop you know beyond that um you know trade sizing right you know there's the biggest risk the biggest the most effective way to mitigate all of these risks especially in the the unknown unknowns is to just trade smaller right if you are certain that such and such token is going to go, you know, from 50 cents to 20 bucks, because look, Chainlink just did, and and you buy a huge piece, you know, then that's on you, right? You know, you're not necessarily making the wrong trade. You're just not sizing it correctly. And that's, that's a very difficult concept to learn by reading a book. You you learn that more often than not by, 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 you know, by paying your tuition to the market, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, we we saw that in you know on March twelfth with the blow up of a bunch of funds. I mean, we had 
uh, you know, not calling out names, but we had somebody on the podcast who runs a fund to fund. And one of the funds he invested in was was four times or five times levered on Bitcoin on March 12th uh, long, and they blew up. They're out of business. Right. But, but, you know, to kind of add, you know, as we're talking about risk here, um, you know, another question I have, and this is something that that's come up uh, recently um, in the news is rehypothecation and the rehypothecation risk on certain centralized lending platforms. So I'd love to kind of get, and we were chatting about this before we even hopped on, but just your thoughts on rehypothecation, the different forms of rehypothecation, what's, you know, acceptable, what's not, uh, and what are the risks associated with, you know, with, with, with rehypothecation and, and what's going on right now in crypto? Okay. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to show here for a second. My partner wrote a very, very, uh, informative uh, blog post on on rehypothecation. You know cri- the, the the crypto's four letter word, right? Crypto rehypothecation is not well understood by I'll say most people that broach it with me in crypto land. And the reason is the following: there is nothing inherently wrong with rehypothecation, right? Yes, it's bad if you know one ounce of gold or one bar of gold is the collateral on eight different loans. That's that's bad. But that's not the sum total definition of what rehypothecation is. For example, in our earlier example, if I borrow 10 Bitcoin from you and then you have my hundred grand and then I lend the 10 Bitcoin out and get cash and buy more Bitcoin and I lend that Bitcoin out and get more cash and buy more Bitcoin, you know, I'm rehypothecating, right? It's daisy chained. It's all one to one. There's no leverage, but that's still rehypothecation. So, you know, there are firms out there and we have customers that are like, I'll do a TPR transaction, you know, but I'll never do it. You have to tell me if, if, if the, if the person on the other side is going to rehypothecate my collateral. And to me, what that indicates is I have to speak more with this, with this person about our risk management protocol and how it works and what it means, right? Because if someone takes your collateral and does something with it, you know, they're rehypothecating it. But what's bad about that? You know, if if they're doing it in a risk managed way that's non-levered, right, then it's fine. So rehypothecation, you know, a lot of what happens in crypto is 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 there's a lot of education, right? You can imagine, you know, a lot of people I speak with, they know far more than I ever will about main net testing and alternatively, you know, I have to speak a lot with them about, you know, how Triparty works, what repo is and why it's a critical building block if we want to grow the pie here, which by the way, I think we all would like to. So TPR technically enables rehypothecation, but there's nothing, you know, levered about it. There's nothing risky or unduly risky about it. There's nothing nefarious about it, but it's just it's just one of those things that that needs to get discussed a bit more. And do you think that the the current or I mean I guess I guess it's it's unclear I guess in this market what types of rehypothecation are actually occurring. Like do we know what's happening on these other centralized platforms? Um I don't know. I don't know if you have an answer to that question, but you know yeah, my, but- my answer is we don't. They're opaque. And so, you know, it is what it is, right? If you, if you, why is it, why is a platform paying you 8% for your stable coin? Why? You know, they're not. I'm hearing 13% on some centralized yeah, platforms. Yeah, 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 yeah. So 
what are they doing that right? Do they have more VC money than than they know what to do with, or are they a for profit business? Either way, what, what's behind that, right? So they're probably lending it to entities at fourteen and fifteen and and eighteen percent, right? But who are those entities, right? Because they're now synthetically your counterparty, right? In DeFi, your counterparty is the smart contract, and so how you assess that risk if you're not a coder is beyond me. In, in centralized land, on an opaque platform, your counterparty is ultimately that entity to whom that platform is lending your stablecoin at a higher rate. Okay, so who is that? Is that a, is that a levered you know platform on the other side of, of the earth that's trading their face off? And and what happens if they blow up? And and what's the risk management protocol for that? You know, are they is it are they lending it out collateralized or uncollateralized? So. You know, we can all, you know, we can all talk to each other and try and develop, you know, hypotheses. But the fact of the matter is, you know, we don't know for sure. You know, I think, you know, if you work at one of these places, but, you know, it's probably not in your best interest to advertise it. So, you know, this circles back to what you were asking me about earlier in terms of in terms of, you know, risk. That's that's the main lens through which everything needs to be viewed. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't deposit assets on those platforms. I personally have assets on some of these platforms. You just have to know, you know, what can happen. You know, just have to enter into this with your eyes open. And and, and my version of that is, you know, sizing trades appropriately. Yeah. And I think something we, we, we didn't really hit on with DeFi, but just that I, I always keep in mind is I always hear people talking about yields. But what I don't hear people talking about is what the yield is actually in. You know, people are like, oh, I'm earning an 150,000% yield, but you're earning that in hot dog token or in like, <laughs> in like sushi or kimchi. And like now it's every, every different cuisine has become a token that you can yeah, earn yeah. yield in. And I just, yeah, I don't understand, I, you know, I, to me, it's like you're earning yield in Chuck E. Cheese tokens. Right. Like, right. what are you actually earning yield in, and right. does it actually actually have any value? Right. Right. Bank of New York is not entering crypto to get heavily involved with Uni and Umami. Right. So it's it's not it's not going to happen. Uh, it's you, so you're right. Uh, similarly, you know, everyone knows tons of people who were savvy enough to sell Bitcoin at at twenty thousand. And nobody knows anybody who bought it at 20,000, right? I mean, it's, it's all, you know, you have to take everything sort of with a grain of salt. And right. I'm, you know, I'm not staking and, and rehypothecating and ramping something up to 75%, you know, annualized yield on a smart contract. You know, more, I, I commend the people that are doing that, but it's not, you know, it's hard to imagine that that exists for a very long period of time. And it's hard to imagine that not ending uh, badly. I mean, I, I feel like even those that are very pro DeFi know that at some point there will be some form of blow up here. Um, something's going to give at some point, and it's just a question of, you know, do we return back to having a more normal? Um, you know, do, do we re- like like what what comes back, right? Because I think it, you know it, it seems like there's enough support here that DeFi will stay. And it has some sticking power, but there, there's going to have to be, at least in my opinion, some something is going to blow up, right? Because people are paying hundreds of percent to borrow things if they're earning, you know, eighty percent yields, right? So, um, you know, something something's going to go wrong, uh, you know. And and in Q two, for example, we saw five major hacks of DeFi platforms, right? So, I uh, you know, I think you're you're paying 
you know, you're paying for that risk, right? So I, yeah, that makes sense. So my next question and kind of transitioning out of DeFi and risks are, what types of, of customers does, does Digital Gamma service? Um, you know, what are the ideal types of customers look like? And, and how do you attract liquidity to your platform? Sure. So we're coming to market. So, you know, it's a journey. We do have some institutional clients. You know, they are trading platforms and hedge funds. These are people that it's easy for us to communicate with. You know, they, they all have trading backgrounds in, in traditional markets. Um, and so they understand uh, triparty repo and, and see the value. How do we re- attract liquidity? We, we approach people and we say, look, this is what we've built. You know, we think there's, there's value here. We want you to think that this is value add for you. Uh, we, don't want to, we don't want you to use it if, if you don't think that's the case. But if you do think that's the case, then partner with us. We want buy-in, right? We want, we want buy-in from customers to become launch partners, basically. And so, you know, they, they'll be ultimately our best sales force and we can work very, very hard to service them and, and continue to add functionality to our platform and our protocol and all of that. So it's, you know, it's a step-by-step process. You know, we're trying to not let perfection be the, en- uh, be the enemy of, of the good. We did stand up an exchange and it is working and it will, you know, we will iterate forward and, and make it better, you know, with, with each passing week and each passing month. Um, but we felt it was important to, to, to get started. Um, so our ideal customers are going to be folks ultimately that probably are not retail, but, but have a need, a fundamental need in their workflow for borrow or lend. Um, so that can be miners who want to lend coin to raise fiat or stable coin to pay bills. It can be trading desks who need coin on multiple exchanges and, and, and want their daily P&L to be a function of their trading and not their, you know, not their core long pile of, of coin they're sitting on in order to, to post coin at all the exchanges. And there are folks that, you know, run ATM machines and, and, and there are folks that negotiate, you know, Bitcoin ransoms. You know, these are, these are all folks that need the ability to access coin, but don't want the, ex- the price exposure. Right. So when you borrow it, you know, the owner of the Bitcoin is the lender and that that remains the case throughout the transaction. But this this gives them access to the coin, you know, so they can run their business. Uh, you you want to have a, a diverse ecosystem of customers. Right. You don't you don't want to end up being one of those exchanges. That's all quant HFT folk that are just all in unison, you know, bidding and offering and moving everything up and down and, and no transactions. Right. You need some takers. You need different time frames, um, short-term traders, long-term traders, and, and and so on. So, so so that's our approach, you know. And 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 we just we work very hard to to take every meeting and speak with as many people as possible, and 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 treat everyone, you know, and and give everyone the best service that we possibly can. I mean, we think reputation is everything. You know, we want people to go, oh, I know Paul and Ari. They're at Digital Gamma. You know, they 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 treat us right. They do the right thing. Um, you know, process is key um, across, you know, execution in every aspect of your business. So that's it. You know, we want, we want to reach out to a broad audience. Uh, we want to treat people well, and, and we want buy-in and, and partnership with our early customers. 
And so what's next for Digital Gamma? What are you guys working on and what has you excited, um, you know, and what's even further down the roadmap? Yeah, we're, we're very excited about this spot borrow lend application of TPR. Um, we're, we're maybe a week or two away from announcing a partnership with an exchange that wants to list rates. Um, so TPR is, you know, effectively a plug and play solution for, for that exchange which is a nice way for them to differentiate themselves, right? There's hundreds of spot exchanges and, and, you know, you see that in the falling uh, fee structures. So that, that, that has the potential to be very, very big for us. We're getting very, very uh, good feedback from traditional entities um, that understand the tri-party repo protocol and, and, and its applicability in forwards and options, right? Because it's 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 very customizable. So, depending on who's posting or if they're posting a collateral, and and depending on whether one or both parties are posting the margin, it's very easy to make the PNL profile of a TPR transaction mimic exactly a forward or an option. And, and, and so what this becomes is a very effective credit wrapper for all different types of products in, in crypto and, and, and for structured products, right? Because, you know, certainly there's a, there, for example, there's a very big opportunity right now in cash lending, right? So how do you approach an institution and say, you know, you know, the 10 bips you're earning right now on, 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 on the three year or five year? debt you're holding, you know, how about earning, you know, 800 bips or a thousand bips by lending cash that's 125% collateralized in Bitcoin, right? You don't have to be a fan of Bitcoin to recognize and evaluate that it's it's good collateral, right? It's, it's liquid 24-7, you know, we rebalance and mark to market every day. And so you, you really could care less about Bitcoin uh, if you're willing to lend cash um, and earn eight, nine, ten percent instead of instead of ten bips, and and it's safe, right? So so we have a research paper that we've done where we've 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 evaluated our head of research, uh, Guy Lickyao, who has an extensive background in 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 both academics and traditional finance, has done a research paper which we're going to release, you know, in the next week, that 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 backs it up with math, you know, the risk return profile of a cash loan collateralized with Bitcoin as compared to what you get in IG and, and, and investable grade and high yield is no, there's no comparison. It, and the recovery rates are better, right? In, in high yield, your recovery rate under a default scenario is going to be 20% or something in that neighborhood. If you're posting margin of 25% in Bitcoin and, and, and Bitcoin moves, let's say 35% overnight, and your counterparty is a bad actor, you know, they don't have to necessarily default, but let's say they do, um, your recovery rate in that scenario is 90%, right? Because you have their collateral and you have access to 25% posted margin. So, you know, that, that's, that's a scenario where, you know, there's going to be losses, but it's, it's the right type of business decision because the yield more than makes up for it. So am I allowed to say that? Please reach out for a copy of the, uh, the yeah, of course. research report. Show, we're letting you show yourself. Don't <laughs> yeah, worry. Show away. Right. So, so <laughs> look, look for us to release that next week. 
And so that's a very, very scalable idea, of course. And, um, and there's a host of, you know, there's a host of synthetic uh, stru- and structured products to be created, you know, with the right legal and with the right risk management protocol. And, and so that's what we're working on. So, you know, we're, we're, we really want to be a part of, you know, growing this pie. You know, it's not our goal every day to see how we can cannibalize, you know, those who are currently trading and borrowing and lending. Um, you know, we want much broader adoption and, and we want, we, you know, we have our, we have our eyes on a much, much, much bigger, bigger prize and everything seems to be headed in the right direction. You know, the announcement from, from the office of the control of the currency, very positive, you know, chase banking with, with Gemini and Coinbase, very positive, um, you know, very, very significant traditional financial entities entering into crypto and being very public about it, positive, you know, bank, you know, traditional companies uh, putting their, putting their excess cash holdings into Bitcoin, very positive. I mean, so, you know, there's tons of signals there, but you still have to proceed with all due caution, but it's really on a net basis, something I feel to be very, very excited about. And so, so what's next? Like, what is, what is the roadmap for you guys? You know, you, you've, you know, you're getting ready to launch this TPR platform. Do you guys envision yourselves potentially going into PV later again? Do you, you know, plan on just staying in TPR? Like what is kind of, um, you know, where, where, where do you see digital gamma in a year from now or in two years from now? That's a great question. Um, so, and ultimately a a startup is, 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 is a series of experiments, right? So I, I have an answer to your question. And I also know, you know, every day we will make the best decision with the information that we have at that time. Um, so, for example, will we become a PB? You know, probably not. You know, we have everything. It still works. But there's a lot of PBs, right? We, we would rather be a borrow-lend protocol that is an option to everyone that's on all of these PBs, right? We know, look, we've been through the asset life cycle before, right? So price and price compression, fee compression, you know, it's, it's coming, right? So, so ultimately, you know, everything is going to be a bit wide and commissions are going to be very low. So how do you make money? Right? So you really, we want to be one of two, three, four, five borrow lend options on the existing prime brokers. You know, if our TPR protocol takes off such that we can wrap a PB around it, you know, we can do that very quickly, but we would rather, again, go horizontal and get in the entire infrastructure layer of crypto finance. You know, we don't want to be on the other side of our customers' transactions such that, you know, the more they lose, the more we make, you know, then interests aren't aligned. Um, we would rather be the, be the, interme- be the, the, the third party in between two intermediaries. That being said, we are building out our OTC desk, right? So we will be doing some trading um, and we will be very explicit about everything, obviously. Um, but we've built these tools. We see all these opportunities and, and, and that's our background. So, you know, we've, we've been able to, to raise some money and raise some balance sheet for trading. And, and, and we're going to do that um, because, you know, that enable, you know, the more trading we do, the better that enables us to serve our customers who are utilizing TPR. And the more we build out in terms of upgrading our legal and upgrading our user base, then the more we can offer in terms of structured products and be a part of, you know, presenting the options 
to the very large institutions who are sort of starting to look at crypto and looking for a way to dip their toe in the water that isn't, you know, just buying Bitcoin and, and, and crossing their fingers. Um, so in the next few weeks, you know, I'd look for, you know, the announcement with the exchange, hopefully, um, some structured products, um, our trading OTC desk, um, and one or two other things that it's impossible to discuss without, without giving it away. And the contracts haven't been signed. Um, but you know, yeah, you gave us a lot there. Structured products yeah. and OTC is a lot. So yeah, really quickly, I mean, you know, we're, we're already running a bit long, but, I, but I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on structured products in crypto. What types of products are you thinking about? What do you think there's demand for? And, and do you see the structured product market taking off in digital assets? Because it's not really something we've seen to this point. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's a ton of opportunity with what Wall Street would consider to be very vanilla type structured products, right? For example, folks that are sitting on a ton of Bitcoin, as I mentioned earlier, and they want to earn yield on it. So, you know, you can you can combine positions, spot positions with options positions to create different types of risk return profiles, you know, covered calls, you know, very well-trod paths in terms of strategies like that, or ways to enhance yield by lending assets and then depositing collateral on platforms to, to increase yield. But the, the key here is, is, is really presenting these types of structured products in the correct legal type of framework, right? These institutions have to be able to tick every box. They basically are looking for a reason to not do it, right? They're not looking for a reason to do it. You're in their office because they're interested in interested in it in the first place but they're but you cannot give them a reason to not do it right it's they need to they need to save their job or, or or cya as they say so you know either you can you know you can walk into skadden arps and, and drop hundreds of thousands of dollars and 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 then make your your legal docs you know what they need to be or you, or you can partner with someone who has the the chops to do that themselves but there's there's a massive appetite Right, because crypto. Look, the crypto market is is non trivial, right? But it, it's really way, way, way too small, right? It's two hundred billion, two hundred and fifty billion. You know, it's it doesn't move the needle. It's what ten right? percent of Apple now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. And and, and and after Apple's been crushed, so it's you know it's the way this gets interesting from an institutional perspective is 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 fixed income right that's how i would describe it you you have to hang structured products on top of crypto on top of bitcoin on top of a crypto repo curve and the notional value of those transactions can be hundreds of millions of dollars now you have something where you can approach institutions and say look there's opportunity here it can move your needle Let's, you know, the infrastructure exists, it was built properly in such a way that it's recognizable to you. You know, let's talk about issuing, you know, paper denominated in Bitcoin. Um, Let's see if companies are interested in raising money in that way. Let's see if, if Bitcoin OGs are interested in in deploying their Bitcoin. You You know, this is not for the not your keys, not your crypto crowd, but you know, that's not everybody. And there's there's large amounts of wealth that's starting to get starting to accumulate in crypto and and they want to put it to work. So, you know, can someone invest, you know, a thousand Bitcoin into some type of structured product that has a yield, you know, whereby, you know, they are not at risk 
at getting called away um, on their on their underlying Bitcoin, things like that. So, and and as I mentioned earlier, you know, the TPR protocol works for forwards and for options. You know, is it a way for us to offer, you know, a, a, an OTC options market based on on Deribit, for example, in a regulated way to to U.S. investors, things like that. So we think of these opportunities as, as very, very non-trivial. Um, we're working very hard on all of them. You know, we're pursuing many things in parallel. And so, you know, it just, it just takes time to do these things right. But, you know, it's, it's worth it, we feel, obviously. So with every, with every guest, the, the question that we ask is, is how do you think about asset valuation within crypto? And what would you define as the fundamentals for the industry? I know we talked a lot about lo- lending and risk management, but but what do you think about you know when you think about you know investing or trading or or taking a, a long position in, in some a- in some asset in this market? How do you think about that, and how do you think about you know making a determination to allocate to one asset or, over another? Right, right. So so we're not a fund, and we're not we're not investing in coins, right? But I I think. I think this is a super interesting question because, you know, th- this isn't, you know, this isn't a stock where you use your DCF model and, and you come up with a value and you make a few assumptions and you can tweak your assumptions and see, you know, what the difference is between your valuation and someone else's. This is where I think my background in gold comes into play because there's a lot of parallels there. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people in gold who are religiously long, so to speak. And, you know, at any day they feel, they feel like, you know, the entire fiat monetary system is, is going to, to crumble and, and gold is real money and they don't want to hear anything uh, otherwise. Right. Like, so it, it, it's sort, it's sort of hard to bring science into religion with respect to that group. Right. You can't really talk to them about, you know, writing calls against their gold, you know, because how can you do that? Right. Yes. Gold is trading for $1,900 an ounce, but you know, really it's worth, you know, a million dollars an ounce. So those people exist in crypto, um, which, you know, that's not my crowd, but you know, I'm glad they're there and I'll tell you why later how I value, you know, Bitcoin. It's not, you know, I don't want to distill it down to, you know, a greater fool theory, right? Like it's not, in, at any moment, it's only worth what you can sell it, you know, what you can sell it at to the next guy who, who wants to buy it, right? Is there fundamental value in crypto? Well, there's these cool protocols and, you know, ultimately, you know, there's going to be all these use cases in society and, you know, we're going to bank the unbanked and, and all of that. And, and there's some probability that you have to assign to that happening. It hasn't happened yet, but the probability of that occurring is non-zero. You know, you may think it's one and someone else may think it's, it's, it's 99, but you have to assign a value to that. Um, so, so that, so that's my answer. I take a probabilistic view of, you know, what is Bitcoin going to be worth or what are various cryptocurrencies going to be worth in the future under a given set of circumstances? One, Bitcoin is, or crypto is, is ruled as, you know, it's regulated out of the US and they now think it's illegal because it was too much of a threat or you know there's there's CBDC and 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 the whole the whole you know industrialized and and more advanced countries are are adapting everything digital and crypto and companies are using it and costs you know 
companies are buying you know raw materials in crypto and they're selling their goods in crypto and so they can really accept payment in crypto and not have to you know instantaneously convert it to to fiat and you have to assign you know rough probabilities to all these different outcomes and then come up with what you feel is reasonable is is bitcoin going to be the one true money in the end well you know maybe maybe not you know what do you want from it you know it's already gone up 11 million percent but you know what does it have to equal in order to to be the to to, to resemble you know the gold market in value or m1 or all investable assets all real estate etc so there's this huge spectrum of outcomes and what's interesting to me about it is you know yes it's it's incredibly arbitrary these probabilities that you assign to it the takeaway from this type of mental model is there's the potential for tremendous volatility and and to me volatility equals opportunity and so you just want to be there to be able to 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 capture the opportunity and so you need the right type of tools both mechanically and legally and 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 regulatorily and 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 so on and so forth um to take advantage so so I'm not I'm not answering you maybe as directly as you were hoping I would because there I don't think you know like I know the stock to flow model and things like that you know there's no I would argue against the validity of a model with two data points. Um, that being said, you know it's one of the things that you have to assign a probability to with respect to you know how sound it is and factor that in to ultimately your answer. But for me. The ultimate answer isn't. I think Bitcoin's, you know, true value is X. What, what the, the takeaway for me, as I just alluded to, is you know, anyone who's certain about what the outcome is going to be, I would question, you know, whether they're being intellectually honest or not. But I would say for sure, you know, odds are there's there's going to be some movement, there's going to be some volatility, there's going to be some opportunity here. And so, so funny enough, um, as as you were talking, you know, earlier we were just joking around about um, these different DeFi protocols and their names. Carrot Finance just listed on Poloniex. So uh, <laughs> another one. So, listen to these four tokens: Carrot Finance, Jackpool Dot Finance, Alpha Link, and Pearl Finance, all listed on. So I guess everything's last. Uh, you know, the second name is Finance now, but. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, 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 it's it's funny because you know we call the you know the, the podcast fundamental value, but the whole idea behind the podcast is there really are no fundamentals yet, right? Like there is not one answer to how you value these assets and how you come to an understanding. And I think by by giving you know our listeners the opinions of dozens and dozens of different you know people within the market, you can kind of get get the best and most well rounded understanding of of how you can even begin to think about valuing these assets. Because you know, like, I think we're at the point now where we, we now have some pieces in place where we can think about valuation. I think certainly there's some interesting things, particularly in DeFi around you know, valuation, on, you know, cash flow model valuations on some of these DeFi protocols that are, that are generating yield. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. It's, 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 it's not an easy task, right? And if it was an easy task, um, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So my second to last question, uh, you know, we, we already talked about so much risk. I normally ask everybody what they think the biggest risk is for crypto, but we've talked about too much risk. So let's talk about what has you excited. So what are you most excited for? Not, not in terms of what you guys are doing, but w- what are you seeing in the market that has you excited? Uh, well, okay. So that's a good question. So 
I guess what I find exciting about crypto is as a result of crypto and in particular as a result of Bitcoin, I think there's a very, very large amount of people, particularly younger folk in their 20s. Gosh, the way I said that, I sounded so old. You kids in your <laughs> rock and roll music. No, there's a lot of there's a lot of kids who are really thinking a lot about money. What is money? What's good money? What's what's bad money? You know, what 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 do zero interest rates mean? You know, what does inflation mean and purchasing power? What's sovereign wealth? You know, what does all that mean? And 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 because a lot of that goes into some of the fundamental arguments in favor of, of Bitcoin, right? Scar- scarcity value and such. And, and of course, um, you know, a lot of these arguments pertain to gold as well. But but the, these are all, I think, super, regardless of outcome, I think these are all super important things to think about. And, and I think, f- if not for Bitcoin, I think many, many people um, particularly in that in that age bracket, you know, w- wouldn't know about it and wouldn't be giving it any thought. So it's it's you know, a store of value and and visibility and you know maintaining your purchasing power and and what does compound interest you know mean and and and, and negative interest rates. You know, it's this this is all fundamentally not super complex but super important things that I think a lot of people are having smart conversations about reading a lot about studying. And, and that's a made, you know, it's made a large number of people a lot smarter about something that's super important that without crypto, I don't think they would have given much thought about. So, you know, separate from my company and, and what I do and, 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 and all of that, I, that's something that excites me a lot about crypto because I see that as a very, very powerful trend that benefits everybody. So last question, uh, it's if you could go back to your first day uh, starting Digital Gamma and give yourself one piece of advice, what would you tell yourself? Oh, well, that's easy. Trade, trade, and then trade. Um, we built this business, right? And, and, and my partner and I, um, and we just, we kind of mapped out everything we wanted to accomplish. And, and we built out a roadmap and a business plan. And it just was an overwhelming amount of work. And so we thought to ourselves, you know what, we're traders, but you know, we need to not do that right now while our heads are down building product, biz dev, you know, marketing, compliance, coding, my partner, etc. And I'm not saying that was the wrong decision because, you know, we we have accomplished a tremendous amount over the last two and a half years. Um, however, the advice I would give to myself in December of 17 is trade, still trade a little bit because you can learn so much more about an asset, a token, a, a protocol, a, an idea, a strategy. If you have a, a very small trade financial interest on, right? It's like, it's the difference between watching a football game or watching that same game and betting a hundred dollars on it with your friend or, or a dollar. It doesn't matter. It's, it's just, it's a whole different level of involvement. And because we have such extensive trading histories, we, we felt, and, and, and honestly, we do feel 
that we understand it very, very well. But there are just certain things about crypto that are different. And had we, it would have been a very interesting path had we been trading, even in limited amounts, trading over the course of time, because we just would have been more exposed to some of the trends that were developing and, and, and some of the platforms that were working and others that didn't work and why and, 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 and what the money's really doing. And so that's, it's ir irrespective of the P&L. It, it, it would have been, I think, beneficial to both my partner and I had we been um, had we been trading. You know, add that into the mix, and presumably there would have been some positive PL and that wouldn't have hurt. But I guess that's it. I, it's it's. Uh, I wish I had you know something more clever or or. or no, creative. that's an answer. Yeah. It's a good answer. Yeah, yeah. it's an answer. And so, where can people find out about uh, about you and Digital Gamma? Where can they follow you online? Okay, cool. So our website is www.digital-gamma.com. And we publish research reports every week on basis and options volatility. So if you want to get on those mailing lists, don't hesitate to, to, to reach out. Um, our, our email addresses are on the website. We publish a blog every week on Medium. That, that The blog posts are also accessible via the website. And, and it's all there. Our Twitter handles, um, we're on Telegram, et cetera. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of work, but I think it's, it's, it's helpful. Uh, we meet great, 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 interesting, smart people uh, via these uh, social networks. And we love producing content. We love it when people call us to just talk crypto. You know, why do we think this? Why, why, you know, why do we disagree with X? What do you guys think about why? I mean, it's, you know, we, we learn every day. We try and learn and teach and, and, and just move the ball forward down the field. So um, please come to our website and reach out, you know, for research reports, mailing lists, uh, or just to chat. All right, great. Well, thanks so much for hopping on, Paul. It was great having you and, and really a ton of unique and interesting insight. So appreciate your time. No, Josh, thanks to you, man. And congrats on all your success. And, uh, and, and looking forward, as always, to keeping in touch and, and seeing all the cool stuff you're doing.